You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. That's better. Well, last week we ended in uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 um, and verse 25, For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. If you know, or you should know, that, uh, that these books were not written with the, the man-made numbers and, and um, you know, segments and chapters and verses. It was all one letter, and it's been broken up so it's easier for people to follow along. That's why they broke it up into the different scriptures into the different verses and, um, what am I looking for? Chapters and verses, um, like we have now. The reason it's broken up in that way is so that when you're reading in one book and you've got the same uh, differentiations that I do, then I can say, hey, go to chapter 2 and verse 25, and we can read the same verse. That's why it's there. But if you remember, if you were going to read it like a letter, like they would have read it, they would have read the whole thing in one fell swoop, and then maybe discussed the whole thing or passed it on to another church or rewritten it themselves to keep a copy and passed it on or so on. And so ending in what it says there in verse 25, you are like sheep going astray. We now return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It makes uh, eating what we're going to have to eat this morning in chapter 3, verse 1, wives submit, uh, be submissive to your own husbands. It makes that a little easier to understand. And uh, nobody likes to be taught this. Pastors don't like to have to teach it. It's in the book. We teach everything that's in the book. Um, but First uh, Peter 3, verse uh, 6 says, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you, are, if you do good, and not, are not afraid of any terror. I'm not going to make an excuse for the message that we're going to share today, this about wives being submissive to your husbands. I'm just going to tell you what the Lord's Word says, and you can take umbrage with the Father and, and not beat up the messenger. Because oftentimes people say, well, he said that because um, he has this axe to grind or whatever. And that's not the case at all. I did run this by the higher adjacent supporting the queen mother of the house of David, I mean Dale. And uh, she said this was okay. So this has been pre-approved, uh, pre so you should be fine to listen to this. And um, I remember Renetta's frail, so you can't go there and work her over about it either. So... She did look at it, and, and, um, and even she says, man, I do not like that word Lord. He called Abraham Lord. I mean, there's some stuff we don't like, but it's still in the book. So be a Berean and search the scriptures later before you come and, and uh, have an opinion. Uh, we have so many things that we think we know or that we think we believe that we know to be true. And in general, it's things that our culture has taught us or we heard someone we trusted tell us. And so we assume it's true without going to God's word and seeing if it's so. So it's very important that we be Bereans and we look at the scriptures for exactly what it says and we try to do, it's the Forrest Gump principle again, whatever it is you tell me to do, that's what I do. Gump, you're a genius. Just do what the book tells you to do and you're going to be fine. And we should trust that our overseer and shepherd who cares for our soul wrote this down and said, you're going to need this. The overseer and shepherd said, Peter, I want you to put this together, and I want it to be in this direction, this order. Holy men of God, hearing the Holy Spirit, wrote down what God impressed on their heart to write. And they wrote it down, and then we took it, in, and, um, and now we have it for today to be able to lead us in today. So if there's error in the teaching of the Word, go home and study, be a Berean, come back, and we'll talk about it 
in that in that thing, but uh, in that moment. So men and women aren't any different since this day of First Peter or since the garden uh, with Adam and Eve. Men and women have not changed. Um, the struggles are the same as when Adam and Eve um, first got together in the garden. In fact, uh, the ancient Hebrew story of of Adam and Eve having that conversation, and she says, um, Adam, I think you might be seeing someone on the side. And he goes, what? You're, you're it. There's only one woman. She goes, come here. Let me count them ribs. She doesn't believe them. Man, men and women have always been that way, had those conflict. Did you get it? They took a rib. Sorry, JJ. JJ didn't get it. But he counted the ribs. All his ribs were there. There wasn't another woman. But there's still that issue of, of frustration with two people seeing in two different ways. When Adam was formed, I've told you this before, I'm going to tell you again. When Adam was formed initially, he was the only man ever outside of Christ who was not formed, who was and is and is to come. The only man formed ever from the dust of the ground that was in the exact image of God by himself. And God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And he laid Adam down and he took from Adam a part that made Adam complete and he formed a woman from that part. And he brought the woman back to the man, and he said, the two shall become one flesh. And the two together in one flesh became complete. The Bible says, like I just said, it's not good for man to be alone. He needs the part, the critical thinking part that the man has, the emotional thinking part that the woman has, and put together, then the man has access to the sixth sense or the woman's intuition that he doesn't have otherwise then the woman has access to the critical view of things that she doesn't have otherwise. Not to say she can't have part of it, but she doesn't have all of it. Not to say that the man doesn't have part of it or that a man can't be emotional or whatever. They need the completeness of the two becoming one flesh. People do better as married couples than they do alone in general. I know there's always the outlier, you know, whatever. But in general, as God's design was for man and the woman to come together and to be completed in one flesh. Only together in one flesh are they the exact representation of God like Adam in the beginning. The problem is, is because of sin and fallenness and unholiness and the natural man and the flesh and all those things that, that get injected in there in the world. All those things is what messes up the man and messes up the woman and messes up the relationship. Whenever it gets driven in between the man and the woman, it causes this this discord in the one flesh. But I can tell you this as well, that men and women that have been divorced, especially ones that have been married for any length of time, there is a tearing apart that I've seen with these, and it's at the nucleus, nuclear level, at the smallest cellular level. And it's not just, they used to show it like a piece of a tape on a piece of paper and then rip the tape off and some of the sticky was on the, on the paper and some of the paper was on the tape. It's worse than that. It's at such a tiny, microscopic, DNA, spiritual, emotional level that when the tearing apart comes, there's damage done to both people because they've torn apart what God has put together, let no man tear asunder, and they've torn that apart. And so there's pieces of this person, of the man, in the woman and there's pieces of this woman in the man and they will never be complete you see people that have been divorced for years and years i was talking to somebody the other day i think it was alva i can't remember but they were talking about their parents who had been divorced and in an old age um the man had left the wife and in old age the wife had come back and cared for this guy that had run her around and done all this stuff to her 
And he still, she still, the connection was there so deep that she went back to care for this husband of her youth. It's a, it's a crazy thing. Maybe you know people like that. It's because what's going on is a spiritual thing. It's not just a physical thing. It's not just the, the man and the wife came together and became one flesh. It's not just the sexual part. It's the emotional, spiritual part that went deeper then the surface of the skin of the person went all the way to the soul and the spirit, and it's connected there. And so when the tearing apart comes, it tears apart the very innermost part of the person and leaves some of it with the other person, leaves some of it with the other person. It causes great damage. So ever since the fall, men and women's roles have had the same troubles. Men have either led well or poorly. Women have either followed well or followed poorly. Children have either been obedient well or been obedient poorly. Um, and then to all those things, you add pride, arrogance, rebellion, hard-heartedness, um, selfishness, greed, lust of the flesh, whatever. You add all those things in the mix, and you end up with what we got. We got godless people. As they don't seek the Lord, um, they just, they end up more and more ungodly. And then one of the greatest, or not the greatest, one, a really nice example is the, the picture of the triangle. Um, let me see if my supermarker's here. But the picture of the triangle of, of Christ at the top, here's man, over here's woman, and the very best, or any relationship, friendship, whatever, the very best example of this is as the man and woman are so distant here, the only way they gain closeness with each other is if their focus is on the same, becoming more Christ-like as they grow together, the gap narrows and they get closer together the very thing that they desire as they get closer to christ the relationship with one another draws closer and ultimately in in death you'll finally have the relationship or right before death maybe that you that you want that's why you see the little old man a little old woman sitting at the table you know sex is years behind um children way behind and you got these two little shriveled up old people sitting there looking at each other. Nothing physically attractive about them. They even look like each other. And they just look in each other's eyes and there's great love and desire for one another. Emotional connection that we so desire because they did that. Because they kept Christ the center and they grew spiritually towards one another as they grew spiritually towards Christ. It's a great picture. So anyway, so these people of this day, of First Peter's day, was just like I wrote about the churches. It wasn't very long. It was only 40 or 50 years from John having a great part in planting those churches in Turkey and in that Eastern Asia right there that, that they had started to fall away in one way or another. You lost your first love. Um, you know, the Nicolaitans have come and distracted you from things in churches or whatever. It was only not, it wasn't that long. And the same thing here, Peter here we are maybe 30 years after Christ, after Christ in the flesh, maybe 30, 40 years, and Peter's telling these people, you know, we're going to have to go back to the basics here. Love one another. Be kind to one another. Um, don't use your, your liberty of grace and, and freedom in Christ to add more sin to yourself. Be free in doing good and not doing the ways of the world and so on. And he has to approach the wife and husband thing. I notice like in most of the epistles, by the way, there's something about husband and wife, children relationships. 
almost all the epistles, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7, that whole chapter is about husband and wife relationships and family relationships and how to, you know, well, we'll talk about that in a second, but how, how there's going to be conflict there. But there's a love there, the growing love towards Christ, and if you follow those steps, things are going to get better. So ultimately, the body... If we're one flesh, and I've told you this before, if we're one flesh, if I hit my finger with a hammer and it hurts, then I try not to do that anymore. I try to aim better, or I hold the nail with some pliers. Um, but in marriage, when I hit myself with the hammer, my wife feels it because we're one flesh. But the problem with many marriages and many husband and wife issues is the wife is going to injure the man, and she's over there flogging her own finger trying to injure the man and the man's over there flogging his own finger and it's like you feel that don't you You feel that yeah they do feel it but we're looking at each other like you big dummy you're hurting way worse than i am stop hitting yourself with the hammer stop it quit doing the things that are harming the relationship and that's all that this is about here in first peter and, and a lot of ladies they get twisted on this or that that in ephesians where it talks about submission stuff, and they're like, see, there's six verses, seven verses about the, about the wives doing this, and, that, and only one about the husband. Trust me, the whole rest of the book's about the husband. The whole book, you guys get like 12 verses in the whole book. So everybody calm down. Don't hit me with the hammer or yourselves either. So most of the people that really need to hear the message today aren't really here, but I give it to you to pass on to others that really need to hear this message. And a lot of the people that are here are already living this life. They're already doing, the, they already understand the authority structure of the home and the man is the leader of the home and so on. And then there's the third type where people are already beyond this point or they've had divorce in the past. I'm not trying to beat anybody up. But there's still a mission for you. There's still a calling for you as a believer in Christ we can't, nobody can go by, we can't go back and fix the things where we've fouled up in the past. We can't do it. We can apologize to our kids. We can apologize to our exes. We can, we can try to make right as best we can. The only thing we can do is ever forward. That's all we can do. Front towards enemy, ever forward. Just keep going forward, following Christ. There's some stuff in everyone's wake that's, a, that's ugly. That's just how it is. As best you can, as much as possible with you, live at peace among all men. That's all you can do, and go forward. So fix what you can, but see that there's also ministry for you, available for you. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians 7. We'll just look at this one verse in here. But like I said, all of 1 Corinthians 7 there is, is about uh, man-woman relationships, marriage, and so on. But in verse 28, it says a very interesting thing regarding marriage. Because if you read the first part, you would see, you know, the husband and wife and don't deny one another and things like that. But in verse 28, the second part, it says, Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. What is he talking about? He's talking about marriage. <laughs> when you get married, you're going to have trouble in the flesh. And here's why. Because you want what you want, and he wants what he wants. Or she wants what she wants. Whatever um, entity you are. Um, so before we go deep into 1 Peter, we need to understand that uh, the, the, the roots of marital discord is in both the husband and the wife because we're filled with self. 
the picture of sin. If you just wrote out the word sin, S-I-N, selfishness. It's what we are. We like to do the things that satisfies our flesh. Getting married doesn't solve problems. It solves a few, but they're, they're pretty small. You don't have to eat by yourself or sleep by yourself after you get married unless you want to or you have a big fight and then you get to. But the point is, is in general, marriage is a problem manufacturing device and not a problem solving device. The things in marriage that we think are going to make it better, a young man, and, you know, that's why, the, that's why the father had to send the son to go get the bride after he completed the house. It was up for the father to decide in the Jewish tradition when the house was complete. Because if it was up to the son, he's just thinking about how cute his, his little wife was over there. He can't get her, wait to get her back, and he'd be living out in a tent in the woods. And dad's like, whoa there, big fella. You're going to add on to the house and he just tacks up a metal roof. No, sir. You're going to put some insulation in the thing. You know, you're going to put some nice walls up. You're going to hang some pictures. You're going to get a nice bed. You're going to get some nice furniture. She's not going to like that. And when it's all done to the father's standard, because he knows, because his wife has taught him, what the standard is, the minimum standard this girl's going to like, then he can go get the son. Or the, I mean, saying the son can go get the, the bride. And then he brings the bride back. She's like, good job, young lad. And the dad's like, told you, son, good thing you waited. So the, 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 the guy or in, in the youthfulness of what we are in our, in our you know, desire to procreate, to be with one another, to be closer to one another, we jump the gun sometimes in getting married thinking, well, this will solve the problems of loneliness or, or unhappiness or whatever that I got going on right now because our focus is on that person to fix the thing that's inside them that's missing. And the reality is without Christ, that person can only satisfy a part of whatever's in you that's missing. We've got to have Christ. He's the one that's the puzzle piece that fits the whole. We think the girl will fix the problem. We think the guy will fix the problem. If he's a handsome enough guy, I can overlook these flaws in this guy's life. If she's a beautiful enough woman, I can overlook the flaws in this person's life. And, and I, don't, I don't know, there's a saying, you know. It goes both ways. The version I've heard is, for the most beautiful woman out there, there's some man on earth that hates her guts, no matter how pretty she is. And the same thing with the most handsome man. There's some woman out there that hates his guts because they know what that person really is. The anger of that person, the bitterness of that person, or the selfishness or the heartlessness of that person. And so, uh, anyway, that being said, uh, getting married doesn't solve the problem. Because when you put two flesh-filled natural people under one roof, both willing to do whatever it is to satisfy themselves over the other, you're going to have a discord among the brethren, as they say. It's going to be difficult. And so when the flesh is involved, we'll generally do whatever we can do to make ourselves the most comfortable, even at the price or even at the sake of the other person. Because it's about me. There's a song written about it. It's all about me. Mine. Mine. What I want. Me time, my rest, so on. So the marriage doesn't fix the problems it just creates new problems that you didn't have before and but i i really believe i truly believe that the bringing two flesh-filled people under one roof to live as a married couple is a design of god to demonstrate to men what he wants from them and the example of godly people living in peace and harmony with one another in one home raising godly children arrows in the quiver of a righteous man ready to be shot out into the world 
that picture right there is God's design for the kingdom of heaven, and it's how other people are reached. The, the way, um, I don't know if I ever told her this or not, but one, one way that I was kind of deciding on a wife and figuring out which one the right one, it's not like I had a ton of options here, just to be clear. I understand I'm not the most attractive man ever, whatever. But anyway, the thing I was looking for was because of this other couple that I knew and their relationship with one another and how much they just served each other and loved each other. And they weren't Christian people, but they had a real love relationship with one another. And tragically, they were not Christian people. They ended up in divorce because the wife didn't think the guy was moving fast enough in life and, and should be doing more or something, and she wasn't patient with him. But both good people, they had a wonderful marriage. How they raised their children was wonderful. From everything I saw on the outside, I said, I want a marriage like those people have right there. And that's how I, uh, part of the reason that I picked Renetta was I looked at her family and the parents were still together. And they still had um, their their kids, all their kids were in church. And they, they were, you know, gainfully employed, which I was not at the time. And so Renetta should have picked better is what really should have went down. <laughs> but, uh, but I was really looking for that because I hadn't seen a lot of really good marriages. And when I saw one, I was like, I want a marriage like that one. That's the design of marriage as far as the Bible goes. Godly people should have a marriage that other people want, want and want to emulate. And that's part of the picture, taking ungodly beings, putting them, making them into one flesh, the image of God, and having a godly marriage that grows and develops and other people receive the kingdom because of that. And it's a, it's a really neat thing when it comes together. So godly marriages are designed to draw unbelievers to the Father and they're better than the alternative. I mean, you look at the, the culture of, of I will attach myself to a woman for a time, we'll have some kids and if it doesn't work out, I'll go and find me another. That's what the world says. There's no need for marriage, but when we don't have marriage or we don't have godly marriage, we end up with all the issues that we see in our culture of rampant young men running wild, uh, like wild animals, destroying and stealing and thieving and raping and pillaging and all this stuff, fatherlessness, uh, loneliness, suicide, drug addiction, uh, social inst instability, and all the things that come with a godly man and a godly woman coming together, the, the ones that come when that doesn't happen any longer, when that's no longer the norm, then society's going to fail, and, and we're seeing that. We're at the end result there. So let's read there First Peter 3, just 1 through 7. We're really going to focus on the first six verses, but next week we're going to work on seven and following. They work together, like I said. I'm taking a piece out of context in a sense, because, but we're just going to only work on the part we can get down in one period of time there. Wives, uh, 3, verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Let me stop right there. The goal of every believer is to be a minister of the gospel in whatever it is you do. Um, the man, the woman of God that does well at their work will stand before kings and not be ashamed. If you're a godly woman, you're living in a godly way, it says that you could even win an unsaved husband to the Lord. Girls, who I love, be careful in the guy-picking thing. Pick one that's saved. Not just saved, not just, yeah, I'm saved. Well, my grandma was a, went to church. And I went with her. I'm talking about living as believers. 
because you do not want to be in the position of these ladies that married men that are unsaved. Because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, once you're there, you're there, sorry. You got to hang in there. You got to pray for that man. You got to work on that man by, by bombarding the heavens with prayer for him, that he'll be nice to you, that he'll be kind to you, that he will be faithful to you. But if he's a man of God, if you're starting with a man of God, you've got a lot better material to work with. We pick people because of how they look, not because of what they are. And that's a bad, it's a bad mistake. There's a huge market of men out there that are good men that are not marryable in this age because they're not over six foot tall or blonde with light colored eyes or making $150,000 a year. But they fear God. They got jobs. They're doing the work of a minister of the gospel. And those guys are put to the curb like a bunch of rejects. And those are the ones you should be chasing after. And we like to chase after Dudley Do-Right, the big handsome guy with the big chin or whatever. And I'm telling you, that guy only thinks about himself. Find the one that thinks about God, and then he'll think about you. And you'll be way better off, and you won't have to fix that guy or attempt to fix the guy. Trust me, you can't fix a person. Whoever they are, when you married them, that's who they are. They might disguise themselves a little bit of who they are, but whoever they are, that's what they are. It takes God's Word, time in the Word, time with the Lord, and Him molding and working on them. It takes prayer, and that's what changes the person. You ain't going to change them. If he's really bold and confident and arrogant and prideful, trust me, you get him to the house, he's going to be the same way. So be careful in the picking there. Be submissive to your husband. So if you're going to pick one, pick a good one. Don't pick a slacker. If he's good at video games, he ain't the one. Trust me. Find another. All right. So without a word, they may be won by the conduct of their wives. This is so important. We'll come back to this. But the humility of the wife and her spirit is the thing that changes the man. You'll get what you want if you hang in there by humility of spirit. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, it's not fear like afraid he's going to hit you with a stick. It's, it's uh, honor. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid of any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. That's a big deal, and we'll see that. Let me read this verse 20, 2 verse 20. It says, For what credit is it if when you're beaten for your faults you take it patiently, but when you do good you suffer? If you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. So we need to put that into context there in the in the humility thing, I shouldn't have to be treated this way. I shouldn't have to listen to his mouth. I shouldn't have to, uh, you know, ignore this flaw of his or he should do this or he should do that. It says, it's, it's no credit if you're in this negative state because of your own putting yourself there to whine about it. What the credit is, is if you're put in this state by no fault of your own and you take it like a champ and others see it 
And they're developed in their spiritual growth because of your spiritual growth. That's a little tough to swallow. So much going on in this uh, little six verses there that we should... I mean, I suppose we could have a marriage conference, but I doubt many of you would come if I was teaching it. But um, we can't see it all in one Sunday, but we get the general idea of the leadership and roles of the men and women. And it's okay... I think that's one thing our culture has really done in the last 10 years is they've just really attacked the roles of men and women. They like to really beat down um, men and really elevate women until women get too high and then they want to beat the women down and now we have new uh, varieties of people so-called and they're going to elevate them over women. So whenever, you, whenever you're going to pick a side, be careful. You may not get what you like there. But uh, um, if we go back to Genesis, where this all begins, we can see right there in Genesis 3.16, if you want to go back, and you can see that part of the curse that God put on Eve, it says, I will give you a desire for your husband. And it sounds like it will give her this, um, in the way it's written, it kind of sounds like in this nature, like I will give you a a more, uh, a, a deeper love, a deeper sense of honor for your husband. And it's not the way the word is. It's not what it means in Hebrew. It goes to this other verse in uh, where Cain says, sin's desire is waiting for you. It's the same word. And what it means is, what you're going to want is to be in charge. But you're not going to get that. That's what it means. And it's very painful. I want to be in charge. Nobody likes to be told what to do. You can't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. But in fact, God put the man in authority over the woman. He says because Adam was created first, it was no fault of Eve's, and it was because Adam was alone and he saw the animals with pears. Why am I alone? God says, you know what, here, take a nap over here, Adam. I'm going to fix you up, buddy. And he did. He fixed him right up. And then when Adam had to choose, he chose the woman over God. And it shows the weakness of man as well as the strength of the woman. And women don't, in my opinion, do not often utilize their strength in a positive way like they should. God gave you all the tools and weaponry and your little figure to get what you want from your husband if you apply it properly and not in a, in a, in a mean manner. So he gave Eve a desire for her husband I want to be in charge, but you're not going to be in charge because Adam's in charge. But I don't want Adam to be in charge. Well, you should have thought about that before you ate the fruit, but you didn't. So now you're not in charge. It's hard to, it's hard to take, but that's what it says. That's what it means. You're not going to like it, but that's what it means. So believing ladies, good, godly women over all of time have struggled with this. Like I said, Renetta said, I, I don't like that word Lord. Okay, well, you use the word master. Is that better? That sounds worse, but that's what the word means. Boss man. You like that one better? It's not, it's not pleasant. It's very painful. Ladies from eternity past have, have known that this is true, have been godly, raised godly kids, really served in their home, and this has just irritated them to no end. Um... And that's just how it is. To disregard verses that uh, prickle our skin isn't a victory for you, though. Um, being a spiritually maturing believer, it's not an easy thing. It's not for weak people. 
to be a believer is to, to have a tough walk. Uh, Mark got us some books there. What's the book called? What's the book you got us for there uh, from Comfort? Oh, yeah. It says, God has a wonderful plan for your life. And then it shows a guy holding a rock over another guy stoning him to death. That's the reality for believers. God has a plan for your life. And it has a purpose. But sometimes it ain't that great. Just ask the people in Iran. Just ask the people in China, in Iraq, in Afghanistan. To be a believer in Christ there is to put your neck on the line and possibly be beheaded. So when we reject what Scripture says, what we're really doing is demonstrating a lack of trust in the God who wrote it. For you are like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Because I care about your soul, Jesus speaking, I'm going to tell you this little word right here. It's going to be painful for you, but you need to apply it to your life because it's going to help you. It's going to give you the thing you want. Um, if, we, if we reject the things that God gives us, then we're rejecting the uh, things that he can accomplish in the life of the man or the woman that builds their life on the rock. We're, we're, we're putting up walls that hinder his working in our lives that better develop us into spiritually, more spiritually mature men and women of God. I want to give you two little stories. The first is Queen Vashti, which we read about back at the Feast of Purim there, Queen Esther. And by Queen Vashti's mistake, we get Esther, and God is working behind the scenes to understand all that. So Queen Vashti is this beautiful woman who, uh, in reading and historical things, they think that she was pregnant at the time. So the king has the party for six weeks or whatever, and there's a lot of drunkenness, and he calls Queen Vashti, and he says, come up here, and I'm going to show all these guys your beauty. So in the most technical of terms, apparently, what he wanted her to do was come and dance before these guys in some sort of undress, not necessarily fully clothed, so that they could see the glory of her pregnancy, because this is an heir to the throne, right? So he tells his woman to go, you know, we've been drinking, go get your bikini on and come over here and dance for us. And I can understand where any woman, woman would find that offensive. I'm not judging the product i'm just telling you what happened but i'm going to tell you what happened with queen vashti she put her foot down she says i'm not going you can't make me you're trying to shame me he was wanting to demonstrate her beauty there was drinking involved there's no telling what would happen however the king made a bad call i'm not saying anything different but what happened was queen vashti lost the thing that she wanted she lost her prestige she lost her position she lost her queenness and was relegated to who knows what. Let me tell you another lady. And that was Sarah, Abraham's wife, another queen mother of all Hebrew women that have ever lived. Abraham did a number of particularly foolish things. He takes her to two different countries. God told him to go to Canaan and dwell there. And then times got hard, and he packs up his stuff. If you read the scriptures, you'll find that he never consults with God before he leaves. So he leaves Canaan, goes to Egypt, and then he goes into another nation at another time. I forget the place. But either way, both times he gets separated from Sarah. And both times somebody else gets the hots for her because she's such a good-looking woman for her age. And both times he nearly loses control of his, of his wife. Like somebody else is going to take him. But she hangs in there with him. 
And it says that she even calls him Lord, that she obeyed him and called him Lord. And she got what she wanted, which was the son of promise. Vashti would have got what she wanted, the son of promise. She'd have had a son that sat on the throne of uh, Artaxerxes there had she hung in there. Sometimes we got to do stuff that doesn't seem that whippy at the time. But because she was going to get her way and going to show him who wore the pants or whatever, I refused to do that, then she was put down. Sarah was pulled into bad situations as well. As well. It didn't seem like the wisest decision, but she hung in there and she got the son of promise. I'm going to tell you one more. Well, let me tell you about uh, Sarah. Last thing is that, that Hebrews 11, she makes it in the in the, the book of heroes in the Bible. It says, By faith Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged God faithful who had promised, not Abraham. She followed Abraham because Abraham was the master. But she followed Abraham because her faith was in God. That's the difference. We'll see it here at the end of the verse here. One more is, is Michael, Renetta reminded me of this one, of Michael and David. And it says early when Michael first saw David that she loved him. The first time she saw him, and he's this victorious young man at 17, 18 years old, Michael sees him and loves him. But then later on, David's coming back, and his true love is for the Lord. And she sees him dancing before the Lord, and she shames him. And David sends her away. And she loses the one thing that she really wanted, which was to have a son sit on the throne. She lost it because she couldn't humble herself and be gracious to her husband who loved God. Proverbs 14, Proverbs 14, 1, it says, A wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her own hands. There was a, a little radio program used to be called Sunshine on the Soap Suds. It was, it was pretty, pretty old-timey, but they always started off with this verse, and I memorized this verse years ago. A wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands, with her own hands. A wise woman in her home does whatever it takes to make her home a success. She trains her children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. If she has to cook a meal, she cooks a meal. If she has to wash the clothes, she washes the clothes. If she has to go start a side business to help make the way, she does it. She builds her home. Read Proverbs 31, and you can see what that wise woman does. And even that wise woman, likely Bathsheba, teaches her son, this is the kind of woman you're looking for, buddy. Get a woman like this. One whose heart is that her, her man could stand at the gate and other men would brag on that man because of his woman. I got a woman like that, by the way. Um, other men say all the time, it's how men tell each other they love them. Like, how in the world did you get her? That's how men demonstrate love to one another. They shame one another, you know. And all the women, oh, you're, Renetta, you're so beautiful. Your eyes are so beautiful. And whatever. And so, I, I mean, obviously, I hid above my ranking for sure. I, there's no doubt. But other men brag on my woman. She's a good woman. She does whatever she can to build her house. She does whatever she can to avoid plucking down her house. She's a good woman. As a biblical woman, if we went by Proverbs 31, we could see her in nearly every line that I can think of offhand right now without looking at the verse. 
How sad for those ladies that would rather have their way than have their home. Because they don't want to put themselves in a position that they feel or culture has told them is demeaning. But it's not demeaning to have a good home. It's not a demeaning to have godly children. It's not demeaning to have a good man that you can say, I got a good man. This is what my man's doing. He's working hard in this, you know, and you're, you're trying to give him positive words about the things he's doing. It's not demeaning to do those things because in the end you get what you want, which is a good home. It's a good family. It's good to be, uh, they would rather, I mean, many would rather be right than be humble. And that's a tragedy. Proverbs 15 once says, a soft answer turneth away wrath, um, but a harsh word builds anger. Um, <laughs> it was kind of, even with uh, Jacob, um, with Re uh, uh, Rebecca, right? Jacob, uh, no, sorry, Isaac and Rebecca. And she's, she's got a plan. It's not her husband's plan. Man, I'd be the best plan. But she does it in such a way that you can't help but smile. And she gets her son to make the soup and to do the thing, you know. Here's, she knows her man. She knows her man is off track in the things that he's doing. But she doesn't go and beat her man down. She does what the women do. <laughs> and she makes it, she makes it happen. Look at Hagar. Hagar in the defense of her son, well, where Hagar got off track was, you know, maybe being lippy with Sarah or something. But she ends up in the wilderness, but her goal is her son, is the care of her son. And she does what she has to do, and she begins to pray, and God answers her prayer and rescues her and her son as well. There's women all throughout the Bible that are to be honored for their wisdom in handling situations where their husband wasn't Abigail with David. Her husband, Nabal, his name means fool. And she does what she has to do to protect this fool of a man so that he wouldn't be killed in front of the servants and things just get out of control. And she goes to David and humbles herself and says, David, my king, take, these, you know, take this food for your men and, and don't worry about what Nabal said. He's just a big dummy. Don't worry about him. I'll take care of him. And she does. Well, the Lord does. You got the power, ladies. You already got the power. You want the kind of power that makes your children rise up and call you blessed. And that doesn't come from bitterness. And that doesn't come from strife in the home. But it comes from humility. Romans 1.26, where it talks about women giving up their the wrath of God being revealed among men. And it says women, even women, giving up their natural roles. Well, if you look at the verses around it, you would say it was about homosexuality, but it's not really. It's about them giving up their, it could be implied that, yes, but it's not really about that. It's about them giving up the role of nurturer, abandoning their families, seeking to elevate themselves. Look at our culture. we got all these, these ladies, some of them now in their 30s and 40s and 50s, and they can't find a husband, and they, they, they went the route of the working woman or whatever, and, and I'm not judging anything. I'm telling you, it's women who gave up their natural, natural role, and what they lost is the one thing that they would want more than any other thing and that's children for their old age, grandchildren, um, a home of love and peace. And they gave it up to chase something else. And it's sad. 
And we're seeing the end of that now. So instead of nurturing the home, they caused discord in the home. They plucked it down with their hands. Instead of loving their husband and giving him honor, they berated their husband, belittled their husband, or nagged their husband, and drove him away, or they stepped out on him, or whatever they did. And, they, and instead of building the home, they tore it down with their very own hands, the thing they wanted more than anything. They sit there, and that's what that means, to pluck apart. It's just they tore it apart in little pieces, piece by piece. And before long, there was nothing left to support the home. And they have so much influence in the home. And we as a culture have been sold a bill of goods of, of a woman's going to be happy in this thing. Go live your life. Be wild. Don't get married till you're 35. You know, have one kid. You know, get your career together. Get your college together. And, and that's a lie. That's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible says, be in love with the wife of your youth. Not marry some 40-year-old that never wants a kid. It doesn't say that. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. We can't fill the earth one at a time. I mean, minimum replacement's like 2.3 kids per family or something, and we're below that in the United States now. It's just not what it says. Do what the book says, and you're going to find joy, and you're going to find peace, and you're going to find happiness. But for those, I mean, like I said, a lot of us were beyond that age. We can't go back and fix it. But it says, let's go back and read this, just this one little part here. When they observe, so the husbands, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, by honor, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. It's okay. I, it's fine to wear nice clothes, to look nice, um, to wear jewelry if you like jewelry. But better, verse 4, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. doesn't say in the sight of men. Men are completely corrupted. Men of the earth are completely corrupted. And they no longer want these gentle and beautiful spirited girls. They want these harsh, they say they do, they want these harsh and, and uh, boisterous and body women. And it's a tragedy because we're paying for it. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God, that's the key. If you trust in God, you can trust that he has a man for you somewhere. Renette and I have been praying for our kids, for them to have good godly spouses um, for a long time. I know the Strongs have too. I'm sure many of you have. And in doing that, we're, we're praying ahead of time. Lord, make the options few, but make the option that it is a man, a woman of God for my kids. So that even if my kid gets a little off track, that other person can bump them back on course and get them back on the narrow way and through the gate that leads to life. But I just see that verse right there. Sarah is this woman, a holy woman who trusted in God. I'm sure Sarah, I said that Sarah was this beautiful woman that like even in her 90s, these other men were like, that's a woman right there. But it wasn't her physical beauty that God wanted. He wanted the woman to be holy the holy woman who trusted in God. Gentle and quiet spirit, very precious in the sight of God. That's a big deal. And I want to be, I, even as a man, I want to be seen as very precious in the sight of God. I want to do the things that God tells me to do as much as I'm able to do to be considered very precious in His sight. I want to be like we talked about about John this morning, 
So we had John and Peter, and we got John, the one who rested his head on Jesus' breast, and we have Peter, who's always bombastic, big talker, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And at the end, when, John, when Christ speaks to them both, he talks to Peter, and he says, Peter, when you get old, they're going to take you places you don't want to go, and your hands are going to be bound, and you're going to be dying a terrible death. And Peter looks at Christ and goes, well, what about John? And Jesus says, well, what about John? John rested his head on my breast. John had a love for me different from the love you have for me. And John will go a different way, and John essentially dies in peace, though he's on the island of Patmos. I mean, I, I would prefer John's death, besides the upside-down, uh, you know, hanging and so on on the cross, if I get to choose. But I want to be very precious in the sight of God, and he does. He loves us, and he makes a way from him, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. He loves us. But, but uh, I don't know. I don't want to say he can have favorite kids, but I'd say he can. There's those that he loves because they're doing his will and they love him. I mean, we all have children. We all have different relationships with our children. You can take it from there. I don't want to say anything that gets me in trouble anywhere. But uh, go to 2 Timothy 1.5. I want you to see this one lady, two ladies, and uh, you know who they are. It's Timothy's mother and grandmother. These are very special ladies. 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. We have Lois and Eunice. When I, when I call to remembrance, first, uh, sorry, 2 Timothy 5, 1, verse 5. Sorry, 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded, is in you as well. And then turn the page to uh, 3, verse 15. 14 and 15. 2 Timothy 3, 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing them from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise from salva for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Who taught him the word of God from the time he was little bitty? Lois and Eunice. These were godly women. It doesn't mention his father. He could have been the meanest old son of a gun ever was. I mean, there no, we know there was one because Timothy existed, but we don't know anything about him. But we know the influence of Lois and of Eunice on this man, Timothy, who was such a great pastor to these people. In fact, Paul always gives him like this commendable word before he, I'm going to send my guy, Timothy, to come preach to you. And they're excited because Timothy's such a good guy. He's a good guy because his mother and his grandmother spent a lot of effort on him teaching the word of God. Um, so this, it doesn't say anything about what those ladies look like. They could have been super haggard looking. We don't know. We don't know what they look like. But we know that their heart and their spirit was very precious in the sight of God and that they were adorned by God's standard and not by men's. And because of that, they got to see this beautiful fruit in Timothy that becomes this, this great pastor later. Um, so a large part of our culture's problems could be directly tied to the broken homes caused by women not fulfilling their role in the home and so on. I mean, men aren't off the hook either. I'm not saying that at all. We'll get into what the men need to be doing there next week. But, but I, I keep seeing these things 
And I see it even among Christian women, and I hear it on Christian radio. Um, I need a me day. I'm working on myself. Wind down Wednesday, which is where you know women get together and complain about how terrible their husbands are while they drink wine without their kids around. I, I'm, I'm telling you that those things are wrong. And you can like wind down Wednesday, and I understand. It takes the edge off. And, and even though some of us are beyond the primary influence of our children, you still have a role in ministry in the fellowship and with your husband. It goes back to that thing right there that even if your husbands do not obey the word, that without a word, the wives, by being godly, by being spiritually mature, can win their husbands to the Lord when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by honor. It's hard for us sometimes when the guy's not acting that whippy to go over there and tell him what a great guy he is. But it's the old, uh, the, the two chicken woman of Kenya or whatever, the guy buys for two chickens. And then when he brings, oh no, no, he buy, buys her for two oxen, that's what it was. And everybody's like, you paid that much for that woman? She's skinny and wormy looking, bad teeth and whatever. Anyway, when she comes, he brings her back five years later. She's very beautiful. Her hair's all done. And um, she's very affluent. She's running a business. She has children. And the guy brings her back and shows her off. I'm like, what happened? He goes, I told you she was a two-ox woman. She's worth every penny. You guys just weren't building into her the things that she was. It was in there. And I just went there and developed it in her. If you want a two-ox man, well, then start building into the guy. And you'll get a two-ox man. If you want a two-chicken man, just keep pecking away at him, and that's what you'll get. You'll beat him down, and he'll have nothing left to give you what you want. This one lady told me one time, she goes, I said, he, he told me he was about to leave his wife. I said, why? Because she nags me all the time. And I went to her, I said, why do you nag your husband? Because if I didn't tell him what to do, he wouldn't know what to do. And I said, uh, he started a really nice business here. And he's supporting you. He's making three, four $400,000 a year. He's bought you a house. You've got a brand new car. Yeah, but he does this over here, and it's silly, and he's always looking up, you know, Navy SEAL videos and all this goofy stuff. And I'm like, who cares? He's giving you everything you want, and you're beating him up over here in this one area. Why are you nagging him? Why are you pecking at him? Stop pecking him. And he ended up leaving her. And she said, he'll come back. I'm like, no, he ain't coming back. You, you beat him down until there was nothing left of the guy. He was just an empty sack. You can't do that. Build him up. Build him up. Build him up, and he'll be the two-ox man you want him to be. So, uh, anyhow, last verse here is in, is in Titus 2. It's right, after Tim, or right there uh, after Timothy in Titus chapter 2. And it's 2, verse 3 through 5. And I think this is one of the things that we miss a little bit in our church, and I think we have an opportunity here, ladies, with a little bit of experience upon you to do this. Churches used to do this. They had things called ladies' aid societies and things like that, and they would teach girls, younger girls, to sew and cook and so on. And, um, and there's a two-part problem there. We'll talk about it real quick. The older woman, 2 verse 3, the older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. The older women have a role in the fellowship. 
and that is to train the younger women. Every one of us, and, and this is part of American culture, is you get married and you moved away from your parents and you were on your own to try to figure out the ways of the world. And if you went into any marriage counseling whatsoever, it was like five minutes with the preacher, about 10 minutes before you tied the knot. And so we go in there without the tools to do hand-to-hand combat like it's going to take for the first couple years when you figure out who's in charge of what. There's parts of the home that the lady's in charge of that I promise you as a man, you want no part of. Let her have her kingdom. Help her develop her kingdom and make her into a two-ox queen or two-heifer queen, whatever. Make her into a, you know, give her the tools she needs to do the work you want that, that satisfies you. And the same thing, ladies. Give him the parts of the kingdom as his part, and you're both going to be living at peace in a better way. And I saw this at another church, and I saw these girls kind of mock some of these older ladies that were trying to help them learn to take care of little babies, especially the first baby, or, or help them with their housework, or show, just show them anything. And these girls are like, that old lady telling me what to do. Shame. The lady's trying to help you so that in the long run, your marriage hangs in there, and down the road, you can tell a younger lady, here's where I got off track with my husband when we were first married. I wish I'd have known this. And I wish I'd have known this then. And here, let me tell you how to, how to take care of that. My friend BJ, I got to tell one little story on her. Um, and she told Kristen up here one day, she, and Kristen was talking about something, and, and BJ said, well, I'll tell you one thing I wouldn't do. And Kristen said, what's that? And she said, get married. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> shame on you, BJ. But, uh, <laughs> but it was a pretty good line. She was just joking, I understand. But the, the point is, better is like, here's what you're looking for in a man, girls. I looked for this kind of man, and I got him, and I wish I hadn't. You need to be looking for this kind of man. And, and it'll help them find them. Because sometimes they won't hardly listen to the folks, as you know. But you got an opportunity there, ladies. We can't go back and fix the things that we've already pile-drived in our homes. We can't do it. It's, our, it's past. All we can do is start today. And we can start today with humiliation with our or humility, I mean to say, with our husbands and stuff, and go to them and say, honey, I, I was wrong in this and that, and I'm going to try and do better. And, uh, and, and most likely the guy's going to be so in shock that you said that that you'll probably have to go get him some ice cream to bring him back. But, uh, but the point is, is begin with little things and encourage him. And, and tell him, listen, when you say these things, it really hurts me. And I retaliate in a wrong way. I'm sorry. I'll try to do better. And don't escalate the fights. And there's a million things you could do. But the, the point is, is begin to show what this verse tells us to do in, in, in uh, Peter. And by your actions, your man is going to change. You're going to get the thing that you want. Um, the, the Hispanic saying is the man is the head, but the woman is the neck. And she, whichever way she turns, that's where you go. And that's the truth. You have a lot of influence. You, the The... All the children of the world were raised by women for the most part. You have a ton of influence. You can influence these young people for the Lord. You can influence younger ladies for the Lord. You can influence little children for the Lord. And you can influence your husband for the Lord. If your man is an unsaved man, by your chaste conduct, you can bring him to life. And I pray you'll do that. We've got 51 more weeks of the year to uh, stripe them in. 
But as for today, as much as it depends on you, I pray that you'll receive the word with gladness and just understand where I'm coming from. I'm not trying to beat you down in any way. I want to see godly men and women develop godly children. We have quit developing godly children, and we're paying the price for it in our country right now. And it's up to the ladies, as well as the men, um, to raise those children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And I know we can do it together. We're, we're willing to help you in whatever way we can. But I know that our part, that your part, ladies, if you'll take it seriously, you'll see a change in your man. And you'll get the very man that you always wanted. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you this morning and, and I lift up the scripture to you and I ask and pray that it was preached correctly. I pray that the ears that heard it received it in the, in the manner it was given. I know that some marriages have been terribly painful. I know that men have been abusive to women and, and shamed them and humiliated them and, and done every kind of terrible things to them. I'm not, I'm not talking about those men. But I am talking about the ladies today, Lord. I pray that these ladies be encouraged this morning to be godly, to be chaste, to be kind, compassionate, to love their husbands, to love their children. Lord, I pray for these ladies that they would pray for their children daily. They would pray for their husbands daily. That you would prick them in their conscience each day and encourage them to, to pray for their families. Lord, for those things that have happened to us in the past that have harmed us and injured us, Lord, I ask you to, to remove that fear of those things happening again so that we can live freely and more directly for your glory and that we can be more usable for your glory. Have mercy on us, God. You know all the things that we've been through, what we've experienced, what these ladies have gone through. I know there's been all kinds of negative things that have happened to different ones of them at different times in their life, Lord. I pray that they can put those aside and treat today as the day that the Lord has made that they can rejoice and be glad in today and begin today a new life of spiritual following of you and care for their home, Lord. I pray that you make these wise women in our fellowship that they would love their husbands, love their families. Fathers, we prepare to close our service. I would ask that you would um, go before us. I pray that you soften the hearts of the husbands of this fellowship and those ladies that are here without their husbands. I know they would like them to be here, Lord. I pray for those men today. Um, for these different ladies, um, you know who you are, Lord. I pray that their husbands would repent. That their husbands would see the error of their ways. That they got a good woman. That they would begin to treat her as such. Lord, I pray that those men would, would be humbled in their spirit enough to cry out to you in repentance and faith and say, save me, Lord. And that you would hear and that you would do so. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. You're too good to us. Thank you for your mercy toward us, your long-suffering toward us. We give you all honor, glory, and praise. In the name above all names, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We have, we can, I would love to pray with you this morning. And uh, maybe we could just, uh, maybe I could get James just to play through that, that one song. Just play it for us. And then just where you're at, I want to be here for you to pray. I know some of you have different things going on in your home. I can't fix all the stuff that's going on in your home. I can't do it. Only the Lord can fix what's broken in you. Amen. Only the Lord can fix you. Only the Lord can fix your home. But you've got to give it to Him. If you're going to take it all on yourself and try to fix it all yourself, it's going to work like it worked last time, which wasn't that with you. So I want to be here to pray with you. If you want to pray, I'll wait for you. James is 
um, is going to replay for us, Can the World See Jesus in Me and You? Um, that's a good old song. Can he? Let's let him answer the question, okay? Come on up if you'd like to pray. I'll wait for you.